This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome everyone to the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt Jr. standing in for Jeb Blunt Sr. And uh, today uh, we're talking with Andy Paul, one of our favorite people in the sales training and sales enablement world. He's just got so much great content out there. Uh, before we get started, uh, I want our listeners to go go check out outboundconference.com. We've got uh, some early bird tickets left. They're being sold out until, they, until we have zero on the board. There's still some early bird tickets. So go check those out. Uh, go get those tickets. Yeah, go get those tickets and attend Outbound Conference. It's in Atlanta. It's the, in September of 2022. There's going to be great speakers there. Andy Paul might be there. Uh, there's a uh, lot of people who are, who are attending this uh, this event. It's a perfect for sales teams or salespeople who are looking to be in a community of folks who are trying to help themselves become better, more authentic. And uh, and so go check out outboundconference.com. Awesome. Andy Paul, thank you so much for being here. You've got a new book that's out and it's being released. It's fantastic, by the way. Uh, you oh, write, thank you. You, you write incredibly. So um, personally, I enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. The big inspiration was that <laughs> in my mind is based on my experience and my work is that we're just not getting better at sales. <laughs> and with all the advantages of technology we have, and I've had a very long career in sales and I've always sort of been at the, the leading edge of what's happening in, in sales and selling in the B2B space. It just really is more and more. I talk to people, especially on my podcast, you know, more than a thousand conversations the last several years with sales leaders. It's just, we're not getting better. And, and so why is that? And so for me, as, as I really dove down into it, it was that we just seem to be increasingly stuck on these outdated, what I call salesy behaviors that really impede our ability to help our buyers. Interesting. So when do you think that plateau happened? Where do you think that, that people, we stop getting better? I think it happened a, a while ago. I mean, I don't think this is, this is, is something that's real recent, but I think what, what has sort of exacerbated the problem is the way that we're using sales technology, quite honestly, we've got all these wonderful tools. And instead of taking the opportunity at these tools to sort of rethink how we engage with our buyers to help them, what we've done is leaned into sort of amplifying the previously bad sales behaviors that existed and doing more of them. And that's led to this result where we see, you know, the industry studies that are put out that, you know, fewer than 50% of sellers are hitting quota, that win rates are dropping, close rates are dropping, no decision rates are going up. And it's like, why, why should that be the case? Given I said, everything we have to work with. So as I analyze it more and more, as I said, it just, we were, instead of, progressing further, we were just sort of stuck on, on the bad days. We were inflating the bad behavior, right? New technology yes. is so uh, ubiquitous. I mean, we have so many tools to reach people as a sales professional. Uh, you know, I grew up, I'm growing up in the, the, the greatest time to be a sales pro because there's oh, so yeah. many channels to reach people. I, there's no excuse for me not to have a conversation with somebody. Um, yep. Of course, I will find any excuse not to have a conversation with somebody because <laughs> I'm a, you know, a young salesperson, but there really is always an opportunity to speak with your with background <laughs> with your background. I'm sure you're out making the conversation. Exactly. And, and uh, the, the challenge that I see as well is right. Uh, people ask us all the time, what tool can we use to be more successful? And it's, it's like, 
Listen, if you're not successful without tools, you're just going to be less successful more often with tools. You're worse with precisely. You're just accelerating your bad behaviors. That's all it yeah. is. We're inflating that. A friend, a friend of mine, hopefully I can say this in your show. He said, yeah, with the new tools, all we're doing is we're amplifying the suck. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and that's what, unfortunately, so what's going on. So for me, it was, as especially sort of, I started the book prior to the pandemic, but then as we moved in the pandemic, I took the opportunity to sort of sit back and look again. And, and the pandemic was this perfect opportunity, given the sort of the complete disruption of how we do business is to rethink how we engage with our buyers in order to help them achieve the things that are most important to them. And I think it was really an opportunity lost. I mean, you know, Winston Churchill said famously, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think we did in sales. So again, part of what I want to do is raise, raise the, the flag, if you will, to say, look, we can, these salesy behaviors, these old fashioned behaviors that the buyers find so distasteful that have created this reputation for sellers as being untrustworthy and lazy and pushy and persuasive. We could stop those today and yeah. no one would be worse the wear. Every salesperson in the world could just say, yep, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then what are you left with? Well, you're left with who you are as a human being, right? These behaviors that, that we don't like, these are learned behaviors. We teach people how to act this way. We're not normally that way. Maybe a few people are, but in general, <laughs> we're not that way. Most of us, you know, we're wired to want to connect with another person. You know, we, we know how to do that instinctively. We know how to be curious. That's how we've grown up in this world and made our way into the world by, by learning you know, about the unfamiliar surroundings through our curiosity. You know, understanding, you know, we've, we've come to that naturally because we want to know and understand the world around us and understand what, what works for us and what doesn't work for us and how to understand other people. I mean, these are just innate human behaviors. And as I write about in the book, these are the behaviors that I believe, and not just me, but other people that authorities that write on this say that in a world that's increasingly digital, the way we stand out as humans is to become more human and to lean in those human attributes that machines can easily replicate. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I have seen in the last two years, because I am, grew up in a virtual environment and most of my sales career mm -hmm. is virtual, is that people were finding an excuse to not have those conversations because you had to amplify your humanness in front of somebody right. in a conversation like this in a, in this environment, I have to be more human than I would otherwise, because in a, in a you know traditional setting, you can read the room a lot better. You can read micro expressions. You mm -hmm. can come off human more easily than if it's a 2d environment and you have to be more you than you've ever been before. Right. And that's, a, that's really hard for people. And so the question I have for you is you, you talk sure. about salesy, right? You, and you, right. you bring this, this term up a lot. And I, I think that most sales professionals, <laughs> whether that's delusion <laughs> or, or reality, they don't think of themselves as salesy. They think of themselves as who they are. But what, did you, what would you right. define as salesy to bring some awareness to, to, to people who are listening? Well, the way I try to frame it in the book is say, look, think about what you think your job is, right? Take a second, step back. And say, okay, as a seller, what's my job? And I do this when I talk in, to groups and so on. And, and uh, yeah, informal poll, raise your hand. Is what's your job as a seller? And most people answer something along the lines of, well, my job is to persuade somebody to buy my product. And I say, well, that's really, that's not your job. 
right? Your job as a seller is to listen to your buyer, to understand what's most important to them in terms of the challenges they face and the outcomes they want to achieve, and then help, excuse me, and then help them get that. What's two different ways of looking at the world and acting, right? If you think your job is to go persuade somebody to buy your product, then you're going to adopt a certain set of behaviors that we sort of associate with the stereotypically bad sales behaviors, where if you think your job is to really to connect with the other person, really understand what's important to them and then help them, then yeah, you'll do a different set of behaviors. You're going to want to connect with them first. You're going to build that rapport. You're going to build that trust. You're going to be authentically curious about them and what's, what's of importance to them. You're make sure you're, you're going to dig down to make sure you really get to that level of understanding, which they will enable you to do because you've built that level of trust with them that you wouldn't necessarily do otherwise. I see this a lot. And I, it's, where do you think that disconnect is those two mindsets, right? Of persuasion versus curiosity. I see people who a lot who say, well, I'm a problem solver, but they don't operate as a problem solver. They operate <laughs> as a, as a pitcher, uh, to a, of a solution. Yeah. Of a solution to a particular problem that they just assume everyone has. So what do you exactly. think that disconnect is? It's how they're trained and socialized, yeah. right? This is, listen, people don't, pop out of the womb as a pushy, persuasive salesperson. I mean, maybe a few peer personality types that maybe do, but in the main, we've taught people, this is what sales is. And this is the disservice we do to people. And I, in my career, before I started my own company is, is worked in startups. Well, I would oftentimes bring engineers from engineering into sales roles. And they would say, well, I can't sell. I said, well, of course you can. So all you're doing is helping people solve a problem. Well, I can do that because that's what I do in my job as an engineer. I solve problems. Right. Well, that's what sales is about. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. And these people became hugely successful at it, right? Because it was just the perspective they had is what their job was. If you had told them the job was to go persuade somebody to buy something they didn't want, which is what they all thought sales was, then yeah, I'd never gotten people to do it. So everybody thinks that's what the job is. And we reinforce that. And so, yeah, we can stop reinforcing it. What was, you have a lot of stories and you tell, you you tell stories about how you almost got fired out of college uh, in your first job. Uh, You have a story about meeting with a CEO who had a a book of business cards that were even from your own company. Um, What was your wake up call as a sales professional or even as a leader that you were like, listen, I can't operate this way anymore. And I've got to change up how I'm, how I view my job. Yeah. Well, I think the, I had several wake up calls. The one that, that stuck with me though, is the story I talked about early in the book where I'd had this client that had promised an order before the end of the year. And it was a pretty good sized order, but I'd already made my number for the year, but I don't think the boss had made his number for the year. And he wanted that order to come in. And the customer said, well, I'll get it to you by December 24th. Cause we're shutting down between Christmas and new year's. Well, it didn't come in. And so my boss forced me to call this guy at home on Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, he's opening presents with his kids, basically. Yeah. And I think, and, and ask for the order, ask him to go fax me the order. I mean, think about that. And I was just like, yeah, that's it. No, 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 no. That's just, and this was a relationship that I was a successful relationship. The company had been really the first really big order. I'd gotten first multi-million dollar order I'd gotten in my career. Uh, 
invested heavily in that. I mean, I had a great relationship. It just, it trashed the relationship. I mean, within a wow. year they churned. Wow. Because we had unveiled our true colors, which was, we weren't really there to help them. We were there to be transactional. Yeah. We and needed an order in. We, we didn't need, we need an order and everything we had said before just been pile of lies basically. And I thought, yeah, no way, no way are we doing that. And so, yeah, for me, the huge, huge wake up call and a decision point just to say, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. So that's an example of selling out. Talk about the difference yeah. between selling out and selling in. You have that in your, in your, in your book. Right. What I, the way I frame it in the book is, you, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, is think about it, is that these ways of behaving are learned that we don't like are learned behaviors. And they have no value to a buyer, right? I tell the story in the book and I challenge people. This is like one question a buyer will never, ever ask you, which is, you know, Hey, JBJ, uh, I really like your product. Yeah. I think you're great. We'd like to buy from you, but you're just not salesy enough. Could you be more salesy? <laughs> right. <laughs> you ever going to hear a buyer more. ask? Yeah. Pitch me more. Of course not. That has no value to the buyer. As a result, it has no value to you. So as we look, look about how, you know, how are we going to navigate an increasingly digital age? Who's going to thrive in that type of environment? And people are going to thrive are those people that are able to set it, amplify and become more intensely human. And so I describe what's worked for me and, and many, many others from a selling standpoint is to lean into those human attributes. And I have four pillars of selling in like connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. And you can almost make like a little Venn diagram of overlapping circles and at the center is the buyer. And what you're trying attempting to do is with your connection to build a, a level of credibility and trust with the buyer and rapport with the buyer that enables them to open up to you so that when you deploy your curiosity, the next pillar is they'll give you permission to go a little bit deeper. They'll give you permission to really stick your nose into their business to really uncover what's most important to them. Right. And this is what you're trying to do. But there's this assumption that many sellers have is, Oh, if I just ask questions, I'll answer them. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. Right. Of course they don't. You earn permission. And so but through asking your questions, then you further solidify the trust and the, the connection, the buyer opens the door, basically, do you come in and influence the choices and trade-offs they're going to make about how they solve the problems and how they achieve their desired outcomes? Now, I've talked about this in the book is, is this level of, we get this level of understanding and I take you through how to sort of reach that point is that uh, I give the example of one time I was competing with a very large deal in Europe, working for a startup, by all means, we shouldn't have been winning. When I when we did win the deal and asked the customer why we won, they said, because you're the only one that made me feel understood. It's huge value for your buyers, right? Making them feel understood. Now they're thinking, okay, I'm working for some, with somebody that gets me and gets what we're trying to do. As opposed to what we talked about before, it's just trying to get an order. Right. Right. And in a world where, and you operate in this environment every day is, is, I mean, you guys are really good at what you do, but there's a million sales training companies, right? Absolutely. And, and so from your buyer's perspective, it's like, well, what's the difference between them? Well, at the end of the day, the difference is you, right? It's their experience with you as the seller or you, their experience with Jeb. That's, that's what sets it apart. 
and this is true across most products these days, is the buyer's experience with you dictates if you're going to win or not. Absolutely. And so the four pillars are really based on how do you create these positive buying experiences that enable you to put you in the position to win the business. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Like if you look across most industries, I mean, in every vertical and every niche, there there are hundreds of companies or or dozens of companies that all offer the same products or services that mm-hmm. look just about the same. You could check the boxes, and they're really identical in their offers, unless you are just a completely new startup in a new vertical or industry that you made up yourself, there is likely a dozen (laughs) other companies that look exactly like you. So you're right. Well, within, within a year, there will be within a year, there (laughs) will be right. And so your differentiation is right. You as the experience that people have with you, emotional experience of a buyer is the number one indicator of success bar, bar none over every other factor that there is. Right. And I, I learned this lesson early and it sort of dawned on me because I'm you know, sort of an introverted, self-reflective type, but it's, it's in my first job out of college, I was selling, you know, rooms full, room full of computing equipment to the construction industry for <laughs> accounting purposes. What does so, that look like, Andy? I can't even remember what, what does a room full of computers look like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, boy, and I was, <laughs> Yeah, well, I can, I'll tell you another story about how I, how I ended up at Apple in the very early days of Apple, because I was trying to sell $100,000 computers, and this was, you know, three plus decades ago. So we're now talking about, you know, half a million to a million dollars worth of computing equipment, and people are buying Apple IIs and saying, well, this can do everything that can do. It's like, oh, okay, time to change. But anyway, so I was selling these, these uh, you know, large computer systems to construction industry, First job out of college. So like I said, I was, I was 21, but I looked 16, right? And I knew virtually nothing about business. Yeah, I was, I was just out of school. What did I know about business, right? Um, and nothing about sales. <laughs> so I was talking to these, these entrepreneurs and these CEOs of these construction companies, some of those sort of grizzled types, and they were giving me their time because I was sincerely curious and interested about their business and the challenges they had and for me, it was like a you know, mini MBA, uh, my first couple of years of selling, because I had all these people invest time and answer these questions for me. But they did it because I was sincere about it. I really wanted to learn. I was, I was not just asking a series of rote questions. And for me, that was really an eye opener really early in my career. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to know as much as I can about them, but I don't need to know all of it ahead of time because I'm never going to know all of it. Right. I'm never going to know everything about every customer I encounter ahead of time because everyone is different. And this is this is a problem we have in selling is that, you know, marketing says, OK, here's the ICP. Here's the personas we're going to talk to. These are the questions we ask. This is how they're going to answer it. And when they answer this, you answer that. And it's like. Well, OK, some of that's kind of useful, but you're actually talking to an individual human that thinks about things differently than any other human in the world. And if you're so locked into one way of talking to people, you're going to miss the opportunity. 100%. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, I, I know exactly how you feel because I came out of college and my sales experience was a little bit deeper than you coming out of college. I grew up around yeah. where I did, but uh, my entire life, I was like, I'm never going to be a salesperson. Um, and then I ended up being a salesperson because that's where you end up, right? You, you, you always right. go back home. Uh, and 
and it is it is really daunting and that's where that authenticity comes from you have no idea as a as a young salesperson what business how business operates i still oh. don't know how business operates but <laughs> yeah. when i go and speak with people who are most of my friends i would say my business friends and they are my friends are right. you know in their in their 50s 50s plus and their business mm-hmm. owners or ceos or big executives at these organizations and they'll give me that time because i truly am just curious about what's going on in their worlds i i don't know a whole lot so that's why I ask questions. And when you, when you have rote answers in front of you, if you walk into an office and you did all of your pre-call planning, which is important, mm-hmm. it is, I'm not discounting that, but you walk no, in and you go, okay, they have these problems, they have these problems, they have these problems. I'm going to ask questions to get to there and it's the only way that I'm going to go. And then they throw you a, a wrench because they just, they're a human being and they have a different conversation with you. And you right. didn't, you, you, you aren't curious because your mindset is, I know all the answers. I just got to get them to those answers versus I don't know all these answers. I'd like, I think this is where it's going to be, but we'll find out. Is this a good solution for them? You know, that, that shift in mindset is going to open up so many more doors for you. Oh, absolutely. And I have this wonderful quote in the book that I found when I was researching it from Clayton Christensen, who unfortunately passed away, but um, wrote this book called Innovator's Dilemma. That was a classic, classic book. And his quote is that uh, questions are places in the mind where answers go. And if you don't ask the questions, the answers have no place to go. And just think about that, right? It's, it's so true. And the other problem we get to with, with sort of this, you know, rote questioning, besides not building credibility with the buyer, is that when you, it's basically like doing a survey, right? So discovery shouldn't be a survey, right? You're just checking, checking the boxes. An interrogation, even worse. An interrogation, right. Because at the end of it, what, what do you really know? Well, you know, a certain amount of information that you've collected. Fine. But what do you understand? See, without, if you're just doing the rote questioning, you don't have context. You don't understand the value. What's really important to the buyer from these, these answers that they've given you and who they're most important to. That takes a different level of digging and of get to it, to get to. But so many salespeople are trained these days, ask your questions, then come back. And then they look at discovery where really as a way, instead of discovery as a method to understand what's most important to the buyer, that you really look at discovery as qualification. Do they, are they a fit for our product? Yep. See, that's all they're looking for. I just want to see if they're a fit for our product. Well, sure. On one hand, they may be, but what do you really understand about the buyer? How can you help them? If you go any deeper, you'll never be able to help them. And they know that buyers sense this. This is the other thing that, that <laughs> Yeah, if you're not really mindful about the conversations you're in, as you know, buyers, as like I say, you make as a seller, you you strike a basic bargain with the buyer, which is the buyer will invest some of their time and attention in you. What they expect for that investment is a return. That return is something of value that helps them move closer to making a decision. It's that simple. So if you have an interaction with the buyer, and as a result of that interaction, they're not closer. To making a decision doesn't mean miles closer. It could just be small progress they made. But if you haven't helped them make progress toward making a decision, there was no value in that interaction. Absolutely. And, so, and, and, when, and when, again, when you walk into the office and you have that mindset, right? Like I'm going to just interview them to see if they're a qualified fit. And you have those questions rolled out for it feels like an interrogation. I will argue mm-hmm. that I can qualify somebody and have a real conversation and not even ask them qualifying questions, just ask exactly. them questions about their business and they will qualify themselves to me. 
right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, but and the other thing that's, that's problematic. And again, one of the reasons I think that progress is stalled in sales is that we, the vast majority of, of sales organizations still look at selling as a sort of linear stage based process. We got first call, then we got discovery. If we're a SaaS company, we got a demo studies in there. And then we got, you know, and then we've got exit criteria defined for every stage. And it's like, okay, well, first let's take discovery. Discovery is not an event. Discovery you do throughout the entire selling process. Qualification is not an event. You continue to qualify and requalify throughout the entire selling process because as the buyer becomes more educated about what their problems are and what the opportunities are to solve them and the outcomes they can achieve, their requirements may change. Absolutely. And if you think, gosh, we did discovery, now we're moving on and you're still selling to what you thought you knew back at the beginning, you get to the end, well, that's not where they are anymore. <laughs> and then you wonder why they decided not to go forward and why they made a no decision. Yep. Because you're not an aligned. And they, they said, well, yeah, everybody, all the sellers seem to be missing the boat because yeah, we've moved on and we've got another vision and yeah, their vision doesn't align with our vision. I was, uh, I was talking with a, a colleague of mine who uh, is we're everyone at sales gravy is in sales, by the way. So we all are salespeople, mm-hmm. but uh, this colleague of mine didn't, doesn't sell the way that I do as a sales executive most of no. the time. And so uh, they, they came to this opportunity and it was somebody that was close to them. They had a relationship. They knew what we did at sales gravy and, and they were like, well, let me work this deal with someone on our team. And it was mm-hmm. perfect. a good opportunity to expose them to a different side of the business. Mm-hmm. And they had the first conversation that discovery, that first discovery, then they had a couple right. more discovery calls. And in each stage of the process, she would, she would come out of the office and she would look at me and she'd go, I, we had the conversation a week ago. And today was totally different than the conversation I had a week ago. It didn't make any sense to me. And I, thought, I went to her. I was like, that's exactly what sales is. It's, it's yeah. a growing conversation, right? It's, I think people look at the sales process and the buyer process, which are gates that you have to get through to a decision as the, the just the linear process. Mm-hmm. There's a third process. That's the decision-making process. That's right in the middle. And that is nonlinear at, at all. Andy, you oh, and yeah. I could be talking about a, a training program. And then you're, as I educate you, you go, you know what? I don't know if a training program makes sense for us. I'm more thinking of like a coaching program for a particular individual or a couple of individuals, because that's where I'll see the most impact. But if right. I sell you the same, the sales training program we talked about in the first call and you were looking for coaching, well, at the end of the day, I've missed my mark and I didn't care enough to listen to you. And you know that. Yeah. Well, and so it's a great point because sellers, you know, the biggest faults with sellers that we all have to guard against is that we sell before we understand, right? Because we're persuasion-based. So I'm going to pitch because if I'm persuasion-based and I'm out just trying to sell my product, that's my job to persuade somebody to buy my product, then sort of everybody's solution to their problem is my product. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of problematic, right? Um, so. Yeah, it's, we're so misaligned between buying and selling. And I don't, I had this in the draft of my book. We took it out of probably part of my next book, but is we have to change how we look at the act of buying. As you said, buying is nonlinear for sure. But I think there are really sort of three, Gardner talks about four jobs that buyers have to accomplish in order to, to make a decision. And I, th- I think it's really sort of three, but along somewhat the same lines. So I think, 
you should look at buying in sort of three phases. There's the, the what phase, the how phase, and the who phase. So the, the what phase is what's the problem and what are the outcomes we can achieve by addressing the problems? This has nothing to do with product. This has nothing to do with you as a vendor. This is the buyer, right? You're trying to help them understand what it is they're trying to just the, you know, the problems they're trying to address, the pain points, whatever you want to call them. And what are the outcomes they can potentially achieve by solving them? So that's a battle of ideas. That's not a, that's not a battle of a product right. or companies. Right. So then you move into the how phase. Okay. Now we've defined what the problem is. How can we solve it? So now you go out into the marketplace, you start you know, talking to more people, start doing more investigations. You'll talk to vendors, you'll bring them in. And there's been research on this shows that during this phase, what happens is the buyers now start formulating options for achieving their desired outcomes. And this is really where the action happens in this phase, right? This is where you start influencing the choices and trade-offs that the buyers are making. Because what you want to do at the end of the day is you want to be, you know, if you're selling a complete solution, you want your solution to be the one that is the, the choice they've made. Or if you're a part of a bigger solution, you want your system designed in there, is that when they formulate their options, you want to be embedded in them. So typically at the end of a house stage is buyers will have gone through and, and may have and let's say something more complex. So I've talked to a number of vendors, they'll down select right to a smaller number of vendors. And what they do, they release an RFP and they say, okay, now let's come in for a final bid. Well, you want the competitors when they open the RFP to say, oh shit, they've been talking to JBJ because this is, <laughs> this is all, he's sales gravy is all over this. That means you've done a great job in that how phase. And what the research shows is that when, in most companies and corporations, is when they get to that stage of, of choosing which option they want to pursue, they usually only present two to the decision-making authorities. Well, if there's only presenting two, that means they're presenting one of the two as always do nothing. Right? So generally they're only presenting one option to the decision-maker to move forward. So think about that. So as I write about in the book is during the house stage, that's when you start putting together with the buyer, you co-create this vision of what success looks like using your product or service. And Forrester had done a, a study uh, sometime 10 years or so ago that said in the, they were studying in the complex IT world, but I think it applies most places is that if you are the vendor that is first to present this compelling vision of success to the buyer, you're going to win two thirds of the time. Yeah. So you're doing that in the house stage. And this is the thing that most sellers don't understand. Selecting the vendor is the least important thing the buyer does. It's the third order decision is who we do, who we make this change with. First, we got to decide what change we're going to make. We're in second order decision is how we're going to make this change. The third decision is who do we make that change with? Yes. Yep. I, buyers are looking, they usually in, in today's world, I mean, it's, it's very common that most, most businesses self-diagnose a problem. They see a problem. And then mm -hmm. when they bring you in, it is your job at that house stage. You know, you can build that vision with them because they have a lot of questions. So people will send out an RFP because they go, I have a problem. I don't know what the solution is, but how much does it cost? Mm -hmm. Right. And your job is to show them the vision of the future, exactly what you're talking about. And then you win the RFP because you built it with them. You showed yeah. them how, what they were looking for. And then they, 
you know, then you're at the end of the road and, and you don't have to worry about you get the what and the who. And that's that's simple. The how yeah. is, is exactly what you're talking about. Right. And I think winning the what stage is really the, the crucial one, right? That's when you build the connection. That's when you build your credibility and your trust and you've helped them think more broadly about the problem they're trying to solve and think more broadly about outcomes they could potentially achieve. And if you can do that, then you've really set yourself up for success because, you know, there's sort of, you've already started creating that vision at that stage a little bit. And then, yeah, you really build it when you come into the, the house stage. So I, another question I have for you is writing this book hmm. and the change that you are trying to drive in the sales community, the audience you are writing it for, do you find that right. this is going to be effective bottom up from individuals or is this directed towards leadership in sales organizations to take a look at how their salespeople are operating? Uh, it's good to do both. I wrote it for the individual. I mean, most of these read the language, but you know, you went through in the middle, I had this intermission where I spoke directly to the leadership and yeah, we're already seeing leaders saying, yeah, this is think about it this way. And there's sort of, I look at it as the challenges. There's three things you need to change. You need to change the seller's perspective on what their jobs is jobs are, excuse me. You need to change their behaviors and then you need to change the culture. So we're going to try to do all three um, with various services we roll out and so on. But yeah, I think that you guys can initiate change at the top and at the bottom. And I think that's what's needed because yeah, I think the weakest link in the chain in selling these days is management. And it's because management's responsible for training the individuals and creating these cultures. And management is also the least invested in segment of the whole sales chain, right? As we, we take young salespeople and promote them to be managers, they, in some cases barely know how to sell. And now they suddenly are managers and it's like, well, and we don't enable them or equip them with the tools they need to be able to help the people that, that work for them to help the people that are, they're responsible for it, become the best version of themselves. And then we do the same thing with the next level of management. You know, we, we promote them quickly and we don't give them the tools so we need to change that culture and say, excuse me, we need to start investing in our management and helping them change the perspective of what this job is we're trying to, trying to get done. I think you're absolutely right. And, and the pillar of your book are a, there's, there's pillars in your book, yeah. but a crux <laughs> of your book, I'll, I'll, I'll reword that, is um, the, the question that you must ask of yourself and answer that not just as a rhetorical question is why you, and that's for managers, mm -hmm. for leadership and for the individual oh, sales yeah. professional Great um, perspective. We talked a lot about behaviors today. We talked a lot about mm -hmm. not being salesy and uh, mm -hmm. you know, asking questions and going right. in and creating connection, which all sounds very easy to us because that's exactly what we like to do. Um, but right. you know, when you answer the question, why you give, give an example. So if Andy Paul, why would I work with you? Give me that example. Well, yeah. So <laughs> I'll relate the story that's in the book is, yeah, early in my career, I was selling computer system construction industry and I cold called on a CEO of a large construction company thinking, hoping that he wasn't going to be there. <laughs> hoping, <laughs> that he gonna, hoping that he wasn't going to be there. How often, like, I know the existential dread when you call somebody right. and they're way out of your league and you, right. you either pick up the phone or you walk into their office and you're like, oh my God, please don't let them be there. I don't even know what I'm going to say to them if I hear this. <laughs> right, <voice."> right, right. <laughs> so 
as it turned out, he was there and, and he was this older gentleman. He was very polished and courtly and, and brings me into his office and he's got this huge, super clean desk, right? Not a thing on it. And we sit down opposite each other and, and I sort of jump into my pitch and he lets me rattle on for just a little bit and then raises his hand and <laughs> stop and opens his top desk drawer and pulls out the stack of business cards with two inches high bound by a rubber band and takes off the rubber band, spreads them out like a fans them out like a deck of playing cards and says, so Mr. Paul, these are all the computer salespeople that have called on me over the last year. And I haven't bought anything from any of them. So why should I buy from you? And it just suddenly hit me really hard at that moment. It's like, oh, he's not talking about the company because in those stack of cards were many of my colleagues from my, my company. He was talking why should you buy from me? And for me, this was, I said, an eye opener. And the fact was, I had no idea at that moment <laughs> what to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I care a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, he sort of took me under his wing a little bit. I had a couple of instances of this early in my career where customers, people that ultimately became customers, sort of showed me how to sell to them over the, a period of time. And he was one of those. So, you know, a year later, I did get a, a big order from him. But, you know, I sort of had to learn how to demonstrate the value of me, right? The credibility that I could have, uh, the trustworthiness, um, you know, the curiosity, all the things we're talking about in terms of the four pillars. And that's, there's no verbal answer to that question. Why you Now, this is the thing I talk about in the book is you can't say, well, it's because I'm a great salesperson or, Oh, you can trust me. Right. They have to experience you. That's how, that's how people answer that question. It's how they experience you. And so you do that through, yeah. Asking, being curious, being trustworthy, living up to your commitments that you make, uh, you know, to re be responsive and so on. It's just creating, being intentional about creating this, this impression in the mind of the buyer that you're someone that yes, they want to do business with. So if, if a customer comes to you and it's, it doesn't happen all that often, so it's sort of a, an anomalous uh, event where a customer looks at you straight in the eyes and says, why should I buy from you? I've had it happen, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it's a very rare. I, well, what I, did you I, answer? Well, that's what I was trying to, th I was thinking about now, when I, when this happened to me, by the way, I was, uh, I was an intern at, at, an, at okay. an organization and I was 20 years old, I, 20, right. 21 years old, 20 years old. I can't quite right. remember. It was a long time ago. Uh, and, uh, they, they looked at me and said, why you? And I went, um, because I care a lot about my customers and I'm a really nice guy. I had no idea what to say. It was totally, it was the worst experience ever. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How do you answer that? If somebody, you know, comes to you, I, I, I was thinking about a question to say to them, you would say, well, why don't we find out? Would be my response. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting way of approaching it. What I like to do is say, yeah, I mean, do you mind if I ask you a question first? And, and so for me, I'm sort of redirecting the conversation, right? Is, and through then I hope to demonstrate through the quality of questions that I ask that I am someone they want to continue to invest time and attention in. Cause I, I don't believe that buyers make the decision to do that based on the answers you give to their questions. I think they make that decision based on the quality of the questions you ask them. So for me, I want to get into question asking mode as quickly as possible. And so one of the types of six questions I lay out in the chapter in curiosity is what I call insight questions, which are asking a question of the buyer. That's something about their business that you could 
reasonably expect them to know, but they very possibly don't know the answer to. And you're going to come up with this, like in your case, you know, from how all these in training engagements you've done with customers, where they really find the true value, right? And what you do, which may not be immediately obvious to somebody else, you form that into a question. So for me in my consulting business, so I'm dealing with CEOs, you want things I'm obsessed with is individual sales productivity. So I will ask a question about, okay, so tell me, Mr. CEO, Mrs. CEO is on average, how many hours of selling time does it take to move a prospect from initial point of contact to a close? No one ever knows. No one ever knows. (laughs) I have no idea. They should. They absolutely should because, you know, salespeople are nothing really, but an inventory of hours of selling time. And they should absolutely know because they really then without now and knowing that they really don't know what the total potential capacity of the organization is, but it always causes the CEO to stop and think. It's like, Oh, maybe I should know that. Or why should I know that? And it's a, it's a conversation trigger, which then leads into being a discovery trigger. So yeah, what you're doing then is demonstrating, well, you've got some real acumen based on the questions that you ask, or they've got some insight into my business that that's important. So that's how you answer it's through your actions. Yep. People are experiencing you. So to experience you, the, for me, the most effective way to do that is to ask questions. Absolutely. That, that I, I was, I, as you were speaking, I was like, how do I get to that point? Well, if somebody brought that to me, I would say, Andy, I don't know if you should buy from me. I don't know if you should work with me. Mm-hmm. Why don't I ask you a couple of questions and then we can start to have a conversation. And from there we can determine if it makes sense to set up a, you know, a, another meeting with, with each other. Right. So, Perfect. so tell me about your sales professionals. How many hours does it take from prospecting to close for your salespeople to, to get something to, into a book business? And you yeah. go, I hadn't thought about that before. I don't know. Oh. They don't. And the thing is, I knew that they didn't just because this is based on all the previous work that I've done with clients and, and in my own career. And so for my business, you know, it's a perfect question, but for people that, you know, I still start wondering, okay, well, how do I develop an insight question is, yeah, you have to look at your users, right? Collectively as an organization, you're going to say, let's look at our users experience with us because generally there's something of value they found as a result of utilizing your service, your product that they did not anticipate when they signed the deal, something came up, right? The different use case they hadn't anticipated a different outcome. Find out what those are with your existing customers, because that's gold. And I believe rather than as you, some, a lot of sales books may advocate is like, let's present this insight. It's like, no, I want the buyer to discover the insight. And so I help them discover the insight by asking a question that frames it. Yep. And that drives emotional connection. And, and oh, we know, oh, and buy-in, like, yep. buy-in, right? You are. And, and exactly. You talked about this in your, you were in Europe and they made a decision that you didn't think you were going to win that deal. And they, you came to them and they said, why? And they said, well, you guys made us feel understood. Mm-hmm. When you make that connection, right? CEOs will make millions dollar decisions based on how a sales team or sales professional made them feel. And then over, over ration, right? We are, we are human beings. We make emotional decisions and then justify it with ration later. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So I, I appreciate your time here. What are some, what oh, are some thank final you. thoughts that you would want our listeners to take away from reading your book or just from this podcast? <laughs> just stop being salesy. If you're a couple, you can come to my website. We've got this fun little quiz you can take <laughs> a little assessment. I said, it's fun, but it gives you a sense of, of perhaps where you stand on the spectrum of salesy or non-salesy. But be very intentional about how you sell. With the four pillars I lay out of selling in, it's, it requires intent. right? If you want to make a strong connection with someone, you have to be intentional about creating a strong first impression, intentional about being trustworthy. You know, I spell out in the book the little four-step process for building trust, a little acronym called MICE you want to check out. You have to be intentional with your curiosity. So acting with mindfulness and intention to me is, is really the key. Love it. Well, I appreciate your time. Tell us where we can find that quiz because it is really fun, by the way. It is really fun. I took it myself. Okay. Uh, where, where can we find the quiz? Where can we find your book yes. and more information about what you do? So, uh, yeah, information on me and the quiz at, on andypaul.com. Uh, do follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sort of all over the place there. Um, I've got a podcast as well, uh, which uh, Jeb has senior has been on many times. It's always a great conversation called sales enablement with Andy Paul up to a uh, thousand episodes. So uh, a lot of good content there and then book. Yeah. Anywhere you buy books, you can buy this book. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being here. And if you're listening to this podcast, remember, go check out outboundconference.com, outboundconference.com. We've got some early bird tickets that are still available. Once they are unavailable, the prices go up to their regular price. So go check that out before they run out. Uh, that event will be in September of 2022. So they'll be coming up uh, in the end of the summer and uh, great conversations. Great people will be there. So go check out outboundconference.com. Andy, thank you so much for being on the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. And we will uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye, everyone. 